And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com. Elliot, this is a guy I remember playing back when I was young with the Packers and Raiders and Bills. I mean, this, you could not stop him. He was such a great receiver. On the phone, we have James Lofton. How you doing, James? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. I see you were at Stanford and that Bill Walsh was your coach this, your senior year. What was that like? Uh, you know, Bill had been an assistant coach with the San Diego Chargers the year before, and prior to that he had been with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, so you you got to remember the, the world was a lot bigger then. <laughs> and by bigger, I mean you didn't have the Internet, you did not have cable television, so you weren't able to track people and say, okay, well, we watched a lot of Bengal highlights because in the West Coast we never saw Bengal highlights. So he's kind of an unknown commodity, but I remember the very first meeting he had with the team. We were in Naples Pavilion, which is where the basketball team plays, and all the guys were kind of sitting around in seats, and he started talking to us, and he said he wanted to call him, us to call him Bill. They didn't want us to call him Coach. And he just had this really warm personality, and he started talking about dress codes. And he said, well, you know, we're not going to have a big dress code when we travel. He said, the only thing, you know, those bib overalls, if you wear those, make sure you wear a shirt under them. And everybody just started <laughs> cracking up laughing. So he just had a great sense of humor. And, uh, you know, we, we got to learn more about him as the season went along. And obviously everything that he did after he left Stanford with his 10 years with the 49ers where he was coach of the year twice and won three Super Bowls, all of that, you know, just added to his legend and even made his time that he spent those two years at Stanford even more impactful. Now, in high school, you – Offensively, you played quarterback. Did you know coming right. to Stanford that your position would be changed? Had that been discussed and all that? Well, I got I got tried at quarterback a little bit. Uh, Steve Dills, who came in with me, uh, was you know probably a more sophisticated passing offense than I was in uh, high school. In high school, if I threw five to ten times a game, that was a lot. I just rolled out and ran the ball a bunch. Um, but I also played defensive back for a little while. George Seaford, who later on was the head coach of the 49ers, was a defensive back to a coach. So I played for him for just about a week. And then I got stuck back on offense. And, um, you know, I played a lot of special teams covering kicks and punts. And, you know, I had a lot of fun the first few years before I was uh, got to be a starter my senior year. Who was your coach before Bill Walsh at Stanford? Well, it's funny that Bill Walsh was my coach at Stanford, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I had Bart Starr and Forrest Gregg, who are also in the Pro Football Hall of Fame when I was in Green Bay. I also had uh, Marv Levy, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I had um, Art Shell for a quick moment during training camp with the Raiders. And Jack Christensen, who played for the Detroit Lions and was one of the greatest punt returners of all time and also defensive back, is also in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I had some pretty good coaches to uh, to rub off on me. You don't think it was you that made them great? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, like I said, I had a lot of great coaches, uh, a lot of real influential men. Uh, you you kind of got to throw in there. I also played a year with Tom Flores, who a lot of people think he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Mike Shanahan. So, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to play for some good coaches. Then you get drafted by the Packers. So you're going from the nice California weather to Green Bay, Wisconsin. That would be like culture shock to you because you were a speed receiver. Uh, yeah, but you know what? It was so, so much fun. It was just exciting to uh, to get to go to the pros um, because it was, like I said, I, I didn't start my junior year. So my vision 
going into my senior year, they had also reduced the draft from uh, 12 to 8 rounds. And I'm thinking, man, they cut the draft down. I probably won't get drafted. And, uh, you know, I can make it as a free agent or something like that. So, you know, it was really a surprise that I had, you know, what they would now call a breakout senior year and uh, move up as much as I did in the draft. What was the transition like going from college to the pros? Well, it, it was kind of neat for me because I was going to a team that obviously needed me. They drafted me high with the sixth pick, and I was able to, to come in and be a starter right away. I didn't have to wait, you know, uh, a half a season or a season and a half to, to work my way into the starting lineup. I was kind of penciled in as a starter from day one and uh, made the Pro Bowl that year. Uh, was was the NFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. So the transition. I mean, there is a big transition, but I guess I didn't know any better not to think that I couldn't do it. So you had Lynn Dickey as your quarterback, I remember, throwing the ball to you. You had, what, Eddie Lee Ivory as your running back, and you had, uh, what, Mark Murphy on defense? Yeah, we had some talented players, uh, We had, but it was a different Mark Murphy. The Mark Murphy, who is now uh, the kind of, I guess, the, the general manager of the Packers, was actually with the Washington Redskins, and we always referred to him as the red-haired Mark Murphy. And the Mark Murphy who was in Green Bay was a guy who couldn't grow any hair on his body, and his <laughs> head was bald at the time before. Before that was a um, a popular way to look. And so, uh, yeah, and my initial quarterback, Lynn Dickey was injured when I first got there, was uh, David Whitehurst, who when I coached with the San Diego Chargers, his son Charlie Whitehurst, who's now the backup quarterback to Philip Rivers, was on that uh, was on that team with me. How challenging was it for the Packers to get you the ball? How how soon did Bart Starr recognize that he had somebody that uh, he could target on a regular basis with passes? Well, it, it was pretty much a, a run first uh, and run second uh, offense all around the NFL at the time. I think the leading receiver before I got to Green Bay had caught twenty three passes uh, the prior season, so. You, you look at the numbers, and they were probably 75% run, 25% pass. And nowadays uh, in the NFL, teams are really about 65% run, 35, 65% pass rather, 35% run. So it's, it's really switched around a lot. Um, and, and we were we were heavily into uh, running the football when I got there. When we interviewed Bart Starr before, he told us that he kind of wished that he started as an assistant coach in the pros before he became a head coach? Because he said, I don't think I was ready to be a head coach, and it basically hurt me. Uh, there, there's a lot. I got the opportunity to coach uh, years after I finished playing, and there, there's a tremendous amount to learn to, to managing the people. Um, you know, I look at Bart, and I, and I look back on his coaching career, and, and obviously he, he wishes that he could have had a little more time, a little more seasoning, maybe two years before he maybe started being a head coach. But I think because of his leadership capabilities, he was destined to be a head coach. Was he able to, to motivate the players the way that some coaches are? He, he, he struck me like during his career being not emotionless, but he, he wasn't the sort of guy jumping up and down and yelling at people. Well, it, it's funny. I heard somebody say, uh, and they were talking about Vince Lombardi, that in a coach you either love him, fear him, respect him, or hate him. And uh, some of the players said, well, he encompassed all four of those and you know somebody said well what about the hate he, he said well it's such a thin line between love and hate 
There's some days when you love him, and there's some days when you hate him for the way he's yelling at you. But you, he had a certain fear about him and a certain respect. But I remember Bart telling us one year that respect is something that you earn and it's not given away, and that he had to earn our respect just as much as we had to earn his respect. And I, and I think that anybody who played for him really loved him and really respected him. You had to be happy that when the uh, Packers went and got John Jefferson, another Pack 8 guy who played at ASU, to kind of take some pressure off you. Yeah, it was exciting. Uh, John had had such a great start to his career the first three years that he played in San Diego. Uh, with the addition on our team, it really gave us a, a leg up on, on throwing the football, and uh, it was kind of a transition period. Uh, you know, the Chargers under Don Correale were really throwing the ball, uh, unlike a lot of teams had before, and uh, we started to throw the ball a little more once we got John Jefferson. And you, you had to have enjoyed that offensive evolution, or all of a sudden, you're just not sprinting downfield for the heck of it. They're actually going to throw you the ball. It was certainly exciting. Um, you know, he was a very enthusiastic player and uh, added a lot of uh, spice to the uh, to the team at the time. And then you go from Bart Starr to coach DeForest Greg. I mean, he was intense and fiery because I remember him and Ditka. I think they actually hated each other. Well, I'm pretty sure that they'd respected each other. Uh, they, they both. You know, they were never on the field facing each other at the same time, but, you know, there was always a big rivalry between the Bears and the Packers. And, uh, you know, players today uh, tend to change teams a lot. And I think some of those rivalries get uh, diluted a little bit. But, uh, you know, we had a health, healthy rivalry against them and uh, a real good respect for the Chicago Bears. Is there a Bears-Packers game that stands out in your mind? Um, probably every one of them. And then even the ones that I watch today are are fun to watch. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to Jay Cutler going up against Aaron Rodgers and watching Erlacher play and watching uh, Clay Matthews play. So you know, it, it hasn't lost any of its appeal over the years. And then you went to the Raiders, where I mean, basically it was a wide open offense because Tom Flores basically opened up the field, loved to throw the ball, and so did Al Davis. I mean, it was basically get some fast receivers, a quarterback with a strong arm, and let's just basically play ball. Yeah, they, they loved the deep passing game. Uh, you know, when I got there, we had, you know, great running back in Marcus Allen and later acquired Bo Jackson. So, you know, Al Davis was always about trying to get the, the best talent there and get, get that best mixture so that he could win championships. And after that, you end up shuffling off to Buffalo. Where you you know you had Marv Levy, was Marv Levy similar to Bill Walsh? Uh, well, well, Bill Walsh was kind of a you know he, he got the term the genius obviously because of the West Coast offense that he implemented. So from that standpoint, uh, they were different. Marv Levy had coached for a while, and and he said one of the things that he had learned is you hire good people and you let them do their thing. And Ted Marchabroda was our offensive coordinator, and he hired Ted, and he let him do his thing. And one of the things that Ted did is we ran the no-huddle offense in Buffalo at such a fast pace that it made it hard for teams to keep up with us. And so that that was really innovative at the time. We won a lot of ball games kind of because of that system, but also because Ted was able to look at the talent that we had and say, okay, this is the best way to utilize it. How hard was it? I mean, you went to those four straight Super Bowls, lost all four of them. Did it, after a while, did it seem like, you know what, it seems like we're cursed, or was it just the luck of the draw? 
Well, I actually played in three. I played in 25, 26, and 27, and I wasn't there when they played in Super Bowl 28. But there's so much winning that goes on in between. Um, you know, there was a stretch where over three years at home, if you add uh, the regular season games, eight of those, you had a couple of playoff games, two more of those, where I want to say we were 27-3 and three at home. So, uh, you know, that doesn't that never tires. And um, we had great players offensively, defensively, and it was interesting because we would find unique ways to win, whether it was on offense or defense or special teams. We had great special teams players, Mark Pike and Steve Tasker. Uh, so, you know, the combination of just getting the win on a regular basis and going into a game believing you were going to win. I think it was the uh, 1990 season we played in the Super Bowl, and we were favored in every game that we played that year, whether it was on the home home or on the road. What was it like having Jim Kelly as the quarterback? How did he compare with the quarterbacks who had been thrown to you at that point in your career? Well, he he was he was he was he was a strong athlete. He was certainly in his prime. Uh, he was very confident in his ability, and um, he, he he would like I said, you know, he would find a way to win ball games, and uh, whether it was by big scores, whether it was a comeback win, and he was extremely competitive. Uh, Frank Wright, who was our backup quarterback, he and Lynn Dickey used to have a, I mean, uh, he and Jim Kelly had a kind of a standing gag bet that Friday's lunch would be bought based on whether or not Jim Kelly completed 100% of his passes in practice. So there was a lot of pressure on the receivers uh, to not drop a pass because, you know, $7 worth of lunch was being bet on that practice. I mean, Frank Wright, she was no, he was known as a comeback kid. I remember watching that game against the Oilers there, and it was just absolutely incredible because they thought they had that game won. Yeah, they they did, and uh, probably a lot of uh, Bill fans did also. But you know, we we hung in there. We had some fortunate things that happened. Our defense played great in the second half. Uh, got the ball back for us, and we were able to pull out a win. When you came into the NFL, did did you say to yourself, you know, I, I think a good career would be like five mm. years, eight years, ten years? Did you ever envision lasting as long as you did, sixteen seasons? Uh, you know, you know, I never thought about how long I was going to play when I first started playing. Um, I didn't understand how physical the game could be that, you know, you could get cut down by an injury and, and your career could be over. So I, I didn't even think about playing 10 years or playing until I was 30. You know, I just, you know, got on a path. I really enjoyed working out during the off season. So that always made it easy for me to come into training camp in shape. And, uh, you know, I was just really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, I think. You played for some Hall of Fame coaches, like you stated before. You had Bill Walsh, Jack Christensen, Marv Levy. Who was the best coach you played for? Uh, I think if people were to, to look back on it, uh, Bill Walsh would obviously be the, the one that they might pay because of the Super Bowl victories that he had when he was uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. But they were all good. They were all unique and uh, certainly added a lot to my life and my career as a professional football player. Did you model yourself after one of them? Because I know you went into coaching. Uh, I think when I, when, I, when I watched Bill Walsh, and because he was such a good teacher, um, and I don't think I ever heard him raise his voice. So I knew that communication was important. 
And, uh, you know, Bart Starr was the same way. You know, great motivator, uh, good communicator. And I think that all the coaches had that uh, characteristic about them. What made you want to go into coaching? Uh, just to see if you could accomplish something, uh, the competitiveness of the game. Is Stanford your dream coaching job for you to coach in college? Because I know you were up for it. You are one of the finalists when Harbaugh got it. Or would you was somewhere else you'd love to coach? Uh, that, that would have been a great job, um, you know, to get to go back to the place where you went to school. To, you know, and it's kind of like a way of paying them back, you know, saying I really enjoyed my time here. And, uh, but, you know, that kind of that ship has kind of sailed. Um, you know, they've had a, a great run with Jim Harbaugh lately, and, and now with um, Coach David Shaw is doing an outstanding job there. The money's a lot better now coaching in college than it was back in the day. Uh, the money may be better, but the the time commitment is still is still a lot, and uh, I think the coaches earn every penny that they that they make. After your career, after coaching, you also uh, did some broadcasting. How did that come about? Uh, it was something that you know I kind of wanted to do. I broadcast, I think, for uh, eight years after I retired as a player, and then I did eight years as a coach, and now I'm back in my fourth year broadcasting. So it's been something that I've enjoyed. Uh, you know, they say if you can't do it, if you can't coach it, you might as well talk about it. What I don't get is today's game, the way they analyze the player actions on the sidelines. Here in Chicago, they keep making a big to-do about Jay Cutler walking away from Mike Tice, him basically getting in a teammate's face. Do you think that we're paying too much attention to that and not enough to the game? Well, I think we just want to know. And because we have high-definition television and you get great shots all over the place, you want to know what's going on. And you want to almost know it instantly. And, uh, you know, that's what Twitter uh, has done to us. You know, you get athletes who are commenting, you know, before the reporters get to them in the locker room. And, uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of information out there, and I think people just have a thirst for it. Now, when the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, inducted you, did you anticipate that day coming at some point, or did you just say, okay, it was a nice career? Well, I had been on the ballot. Um, you know, I didn't think of it as a slam dunk or anything like that, so I, you know, I was aware of it, and I'd been a finalist for a couple of years, so you know, I was very grateful when it finally happened. And... Uh, I think the the longer that you're in it, the kind of the more uh, the importance grows, and you, you realize what a select few, especially when you see guys who don't get in, who you looked at and go, boy, he was really a good player that I played against, and uh, you know hadn't gotten a chance to get in yet. Was there one moment that was your favorite in your career? Uh, I, I don't think so. You know. Getting to play for a number of teams uh, was really significant. Um, you know, getting to, to be a broadcaster in this league has been a lot of fun. You know, working uh, with Dow Global Sports, uh, who used to be Westwood One Radio. You know, I worked at CNN. I worked for NBC before they uh, lost football the first time around. And even doing college football has been fun. Uh, but, you know, there, there are some things that are ironic. Uh, I won the uh, first – 
NFL game that I played in. I won the last NFL game that I played in. I won the first NFL game that I coached at, and I won the first last game that I coached in. And every game that I broadcasted, I've been on the winning side. <laughs> you know, you could call that too. You'd say, hey, yeah, I, I like that team, so they won. <laughs> I want to thank our guests today, the lovely Ann Sheehan and NFL Hall of Famers Bob Brown and James Lofton. Another fantastic show. I want to thank our soundman extraordinaire Dave Olson. For Elliot Harris, I'm David Spada. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.